0: Mark 1, verses 4 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. And if you forgot your Bible today, I know that they have apps for that. So we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 13. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out, out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals. And angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Josh. If you're not familiar with who Josh is, he's our discipleship pastor. He joined us back in May and just has done an outstanding job. He oversees small groups, support groups, our classes, overarching adult education here at the church. And uh, we pray that you'll get to know him over the coming years. Well, um, I would like you to just turn on your childlike mind this morning and just imagine for a second... Work with me a little bit. Imagine you're in a private room with Jesus, okay? Imagine you're there, and there's a couple other guys named Peter, James, and John, and it wasn't a band back in the 70s. It was another group. Disciples, they're all there in the room, and Jesus has just done something quite amazing. He has, he has just washed your feet, and dried them with a towel, a symbol of the servant Jesus. Then everybody gathers back around. In that culture, they would have been on the floor, Judas says something to Jesus. You're not quite there in hearing distance, but you know they had a conversation. Others heard it. And then suddenly you see the door open and Judas walks out. Door closes and Jesus regathers the group, kind of leans back a little bit, and he begins to talk. And some of the things that Jesus says really confuses you. For instance, he says to the group that's gathered there, he says, I tell you this truth It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come. You're there with your friends, and so you lean over to the person closest to you, not trying to be rude or anything, but you just say, did Jesus just say that it's to our advantage that he leaves? How can that be to our advantage? Your friend, who's paying more attention than you are, leans back over and says, Yes, he said he was going to leave and it would be for our advantage, but he also said he was going to send us a helper. I think that's the Holy Spirit. You turn back to your friend and you say, Now, who is the Holy Spirit? You see, that's the question we've been answering in this sermon series. Who is the Holy Spirit? Over many years, the past recent years, many people have tried to say that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. I'm not so sure that he's forgotten, as much as he is the God we don't know. I mean, how can you forget somebody you never met? <laughs> this weekend, we continue in this series on the Holy Spirit, studying who the Holy Spirit is. And the last four parts of the sermon series, we're going to look at the works of the Holy Spirit. But when we answer that question, who is the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the third person Of the Godhood, Godhead, the transforming power person of the Holy Spirit. That's who He is. He is divine. He is God. He is with us. We have just sung all of that. And yet, for many of us, we still get confused on who the Holy Spirit is. We're not certain about what He can do or the power that He possesses. And yet, when you look at the life of Jesus, you see the Holy Spirit show up, don't you? I mean, think about this. How was Jesus born? How was Jesus able to use wisdom and discernment to work through the chaos and disorder and the evil and the sin of his day? I mean, how in the world did Jesus overcome demons and heal the sick and give sight to the blind? How in the world did Jesus defeat temptation or teach with such authority? You see, for many of us, we would just simply say, well, he could do all that because he's God. And we just throw that blanket statement out there. And yet I wondered, is that what the New Testament would say? Is that how the New Testament writers would answer that question? You see, because Jesus could do all those things, demonstrates that he is God. But how Jesus did those things, now that might be another answer. It might not be something that we want to assume so quickly that we have an answer for. Friends, this weekend, I want to answer one question. Why did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? And better yet, why do you and I need the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? This sermon that I'm going to deliver today will be a little different than what you're typically used to. This will be what I'm calling a teaching sermon. We're going to walk through scriptures that talk about the relationship between the Son and the Spirit. And the goal is that you will see that there is a relationship between the Son and the Spirit. Now, I'm not the first person to come up with this, okay? The Scripture started it blame them. And then, you know, about 451 years later at the Council of Chalcedon, they started talking about this. You fast forward even for, further in, in future in history, uh, the Puritan John Owens wrote about this. Theologians like Wayne Grudem and Charles Ryrie have written about this. Pastors like, you know, David Mathis and, and John Piper. These are just some of the people that I've been reading this last week, so I just thought I'd share that with you. You know, lots of people have written about the relationship between the Son. and and the Spirit, and what's interesting is when you look at what all of them say, you notice that there's at least three key interactions between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Son named Jesus. And I want to kind of rehearse a few of these scenes for you today. The first is you notice that the Holy Spirit is at the birth of Jesus. Now, I love Pastor David, who was leading worship with us this morning. But starting around July, he often will say to us, well, Christmas is coming. Which kind of drives me crazy because I'm not ready for Christmas. It's still July. But the reality is, is in the Advent story, you notice that the Holy Spirit is present even at the birth of Jesus. And you know this because you have read your favorite Advent readings, namely in Luke chapter 1. I'd like us this morning to look at Matthew's version of it in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 20. And I want you to see where the Holy Spirit is present at the birth of Jesus. This is what Matthew says. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through, and say this with me, through the Holy Spirit. Continue on. The angel then turns to Joseph, and in verse 20 says, But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit was present At the birth of Jesus. How in the world does a virgin become pregnant other than the fact that the Holy Spirit came upon her? Now, if that isn't mind-blowing enough for you, what should freak you out is that seven centuries prior to this, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that that was going to happen. You see, the scriptures prove themselves Remember last week I talked about how there were these men and other persons in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come upon them and speak through them. One of those fellows was Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 11, he talks about the birth of Jesus. And he says that the Holy Spirit was going to be present even at the birth of Jesus. Notice what he says is going to happen with Jesus. He says the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. We just sang that. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. You see, friends, we don't know much about Jesus at the time that all this takes place. But when you look at the scriptures, it is really clear that the Holy Spirit was present at the birth of Jesus, but also when Jesus was a boy. I mean, just think about the aftermath of that event that took place when Jesus was born. The Holy Spirit was there, and the Holy Spirit continued on in him. Actually, we have this story in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was a young boy. It's a very interesting story. His parents came every year back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and as they did— On one occasion, they couldn't find Jesus, and when they do find him, he's in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers of the law and other people, asking questions, listening to their responses. And this is what people say in Luke chapter two, verse forty-eight about Jesus: Everyone, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So ask yourself this question: Where did Jesus, the boy, get such understanding? Was it that he was God, or was it what Isaiah had prophesied about, that the Holy Spirit was upon him? You know, the great Cappadocian uh, theologian, Basil of Caesarea, said that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, even from an early age, were inseparable companions. You notice that. From birth to boyhood, the Spirit is there. But now, fast forward a little bit in your minds, 18 years later in the life of Jesus, and what do you notice? The Spirit is also present in the baptism of Jesus. The scene in Mark chapter 1 that Josh read for us this morning consists of people coming to the Jordan River to be baptized by a man named John the Baptist. That's how he got the name, because he was baptizing people, so the Bible's easy. John the Baptist baptized people in the Jordan. And and the reason why they came to be baptized is very interesting. They came to be baptized because they were coming to confess their sins. You know what's interesting about that is they weren't required to do that. You ever do something you weren't required to do? No. We only, as Americans, do things we absolutely have to do. I have to pay my taxes, so I begrudgingly go ahead and do that. And the rest of us go, "Uh, yeah, we wish we didn't have to. This is so interesting. John's out in the wilderness, it says, And people are hiking out there to be baptized by John. They don't have to do this. The only people in the first century who were expected to be baptized were Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. But now what do you notice? God has supernaturally worked through John the Baptist. And now Jews and Gentiles, you would expect, are coming to John to be baptized by water. And the reason why they're doing this is because they know they're sinners, they're confessing their sin, and they're repenting and changing their minds and turning back to God. This is a wonderful event. And actually, if you read Matthew chapter 21, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees thought that what John was doing was heretical and insulting. And yet what John was doing was being obedient to God. What's interesting, though, about this scene is that John begins to describe for us two forms of baptism. In John's mindset, there are two versions of baptism. What he offered was a baptism by water, but he said there's another baptism coming of the Holy Spirit. What John was offering was a baptism of forgiveness for the repentance of your sins. What the second baptism that John was talking about that was going to come was a baptism of the Holy Spirit for the regeneration of a person. Notice how John says this in verse 8 of chapter 1 when he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The he here that John is talking about is Jesus himself. John is saying that Jesus will come and baptize people with the Holy Spirit, The baptism of the Holy Spirit differs from water baptism that John offered. But now notice what happens immediately after John says that in verse 8. What you notice now in verses 9 and 10 is that Jesus enters the water to be baptized, but he is also then baptized by the Holy Spirit. Check this out. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Did you see that Jesus was baptized here in the Jordan River by John? But he also experienced the Spirit of God descending on him, the Holy Spirit, coming down and resting on Jesus. The descent of the Holy Spirit on Jesus is Mark's way of communicating that Jesus himself was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, the story of Jesus being baptized is not just Mark's, it's not just in Mark's gospel. It is also in all the gospels. But what is interesting is the way that the gospel of Luke talks about the baptism of Jesus, how Jesus was not just baptized in the Holy Spirit, but notice what Luke says. Luke chapter 4, he says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, Into the wilderness. Some people might say, well, Jesus wasn't really baptized with the Holy Spirit. No, he was. Because Luke tells us, he is full of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like the Spirit just hovered around him. The Spirit was in him, on him, over him. It's amazing. Did you see this? Luke says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, prior to going into the wilderness, Jesus is baptized, full of the Holy Spirit. But here's the question. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, why make such a point of this? Why do the gospel writers point this out to us? What do we need to know this for? And secondly, it's kind of strange that Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit and he's also God. I mean, what's that about? So let's tackle the first one. Why did Jesus need to go under the waters of baptism? You know, you ask that question and you start thinking, Jesus isn't a Gentile. I mean, he's not a sinner. What what confession would he be making? The reason why Jesus went under the waters of baptism in the Jordan River on that particular day was so that Jesus himself could acknowledge and identify with us as sinners. He was simply saying, I am the one who is going to come and take away the sins of the world. I am going to identify with sinners in this way. At the very beginning of his ministry, And the reason why we know that is because when John writes his gospel, at the baptism of Jesus, John says these words. When Jesus is baptized, John says, Now look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's how John the Baptist saw Jesus' baptism. He said, Jesus is identifying with us sinners Because one day, he is going to hang on a cross. He is going to be slaughtered like a lamb to take away all of our sins. But now the second question. Why did Jesus need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now that's interesting. And that seems strange to me. I mean, wasn't he God? Wasn't the Spirit already with him at his birth and in his boyhood? Why make such a point here? Two reasons. Number one, Jesus is headed into the darkness. If you didn't realize this, in Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, many others, they describe that after Jesus' baptism, he is headed into a season of temptation. Notice what it says in Mark chapter one, verses 12 and 13. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by the devil and he was with the wild animals. Now, wild animals here, just as an aside, isn't that Jesus was going to hang out with like cute puppies, okay? The wild animals are being highlighted here to signify that Jesus is going to a place that opposes his humanity, and he's also going to a place that opposes his divinity, which is why Satan is there. This is a dark place that Jesus is going. It is the wilderness. It is what is described as a desert. A lonely place. This is a place of chaos and disorder where sin is reigning. And Jesus is headed into the darkness. And you notice what he does? He doesn't do it alone. He brings with him the Holy Spirit. And as if you were with us last week, what did we discover? The Holy Spirit brings light into the darkness. This is why Jesus goes with the Holy Spirit. This is why he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why? He's headed into the darkness. He's no fool, he understands what he's doing. And he understands that when you go into the darkness, you don't go without the Spirit of God being with you. Why? You need to know the Word of God when you're in the darkness. You need to remember that God loves you. You need to remember that you're not here to worship the creation, but you need to worship the Creator. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. But the second reason, Jesus needed extraordinary power. You know, I love John Piper. And one of the reasons why I love John Piper is because he explains for us that in the Bible there's two different forms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when John Piper writes about what's happening here in this scene, what he says is that what you're seeing in the gospel accounts is that when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, it means they are receiving an extraordinary power for an extraordinary ministry. Now there's a second form of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's mentioned in like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the reason why that's mentioned and it's different from this one is because when Paul talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about us being baptized into one body. We're in one body. What you need to know is that overarching all believers are baptized with the Holy Spirit at the time of their salvation. When you get saved, when you were saved, you were already filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. When I was a young Christian, I was part of a very charismatic group. Now I'm gonna say something, not all charismatic groups were like the one I was part of. And the reason why I know that is because I've talked to many of you and I've experienced many other charismatic groups, but the one that I was a part of taught that there were two classes of Christians. The first class of Christians were those who were saved, okay? And then they taught that there was a second class of Christians, those who were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I had never, in their mind, developed into the second class. And so, on one occasion, the leaders of this group gathered around me, and they said, Paul, we'd like you to get on your knees and begin to pray to God that you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Five minutes went by. And, you know, I'm like 17 years old, so I'm just staring around, like, what are, what's going to happen? You know, I'm, I'm very excited, okay? I, I had no idea. Ten minutes go by, and they're still praying, and nothing's happening. After a while, they stopped praying, and some of them in that group concluded, well, you must not be saved. Because <laughs> only a saved person would now receive the Baptist Holy Spirit. Now, I say that jokingly, because not all groups believe this, but that was my experience. Now, some of you might sit here and say, well, Paul, why in the world would you want to continue to be a Christian Having such a a weird encounter. The reason is this is because what was being practiced there was not in line with scripture. If you read the scriptures, what do you notice at when Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit? What they expected was that I would immediately be baptized with the Holy Spirit and I would immediately start speaking in tongues. You've probably heard this before. And yet, what do you notice at the baptism of Jesus? He doesn't come out of the water speaking in tongues. I want you to hear this. What happens when Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit is that he comes up out of the water, and the only person who speaks is the Father. In some parts of our American, let me back up there, in some parts of our man centered Christianity, we have come to some false conclusion that we must speak, when in reality, The only person that matters that should be talking is the Father. Do you understand that? It does not matter if you speak. It matters if God speaks over you. And when the Heavenly Father looks at you and declares, you are my child, you are saved, you believe in the blood that was spilled on the cross for your sins because of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something, that's all you need. That is the moment where you are filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's no second-class Christians. But the reality is, is somehow in our man-centered Christianity, we think we need to talk. Let me tell you something. We do enough of that. And we would help ourselves out to stop talking and let the Father speak. And that's what you notice in the the baptism of Jesus, don't you? In Mark chapter 1. Jesus doesn't come out of the water talking in tongues, but the Father speaks from heaven. Friends, I tell you that because there's part of this where we need to understand that Jesus' baptism is starting something that's different. Now, I want to say this to you because I want to be gentle here. The baptism of the Holy Spirit can be very confusing. And it can be very confusing, particularly as you read through the, the Acts and you read through the rest of the epistles in the New Testament. And so I want to say this to you. If you are reading Scripture and you have questions about Scripture, If you're reading scripture and you have questions that sometimes you don't fully understand, but you've heard other people explain it a certain way. If you've had an experience with a group or a teaching from a particular group, what I would love for you to do and what I invite you to do is simply just email me. This is my email. Please email me. I would love to dialogue with you. There are passages in the Bible that talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's passages in the Bible that talk about don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? If you have questions and you would like answers or you've had an experience and you want to talk to somebody about it, look, email me. I would love to spend time talking with you on the phone or in person or even through email correspondence about your experience. Why? Because this is in the Bible, And we shouldn't avoid these things. We shouldn't be scared about these things. We shouldn't be nervous about these things. Look, we should discuss these things and we should talk about them because they're in God's holy word. Does that make sense? I think it does. Now, there's something else that you need to notice about the baptism of Jesus. In the Old Testament, what you often found was that when the Holy Spirit came upon somebody, he would often leave that person. We talked about this last week. What you notice in the baptism with Jesus is that the Holy Spirit remains with Jesus. As soon as Jesus comes out of that water, he enters into what is called the wilderness, the darkness. And then when he comes out of that, you notice that the Spirit of God doesn't leave Jesus, but actually stays with him. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is what it says. Jesus returned to Galilee and what? The power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. As soon as Jesus enters Galilee, he begins teaching and preaching. And if you look at his very first sermon that ever preaches, it's written down in Luke chapter 4. This is what Jesus says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. What's is saying? The spirit never left me. He has been with me since my birth, my boyhood, my baptism, and now he's with me in my ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind and set the oppressed free. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that he has been anointed by the Holy Spirit, he has been sent by the Holy Spirit, and he has been set apart by the Holy Spirit. Now why am I showing you all this? What is the purpose of opening up these particular texts and walking through about the relationship between the Son and the Spirit, particularly here? It is to demonstrate that Jesus needed the Holy Spirit and that those who understood that Jesus needed the Holy Spirit actually years later wrote about this. Look at Acts chapter 10. The apostle Peter, who would have known Jesus, who would have seen all of this happening, in Acts chapter 10 is talking to Cornelius and this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 10. You know what has happened throughout the providence of Judea, Peter says, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, notice what happens. After the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good in healing all who were under the power of the devil because what? God was with him. God was with Jesus. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus, leading Jesus, guiding Jesus, directing Jesus the entire way. Why? Because Jesus Christ needed the Holy Spirit. He needed the Holy Spirit to do good. He needed the Holy Spirit to release the prisoners who were under the bondage of the devil. How interesting that Jesus acknowledged he needed the Holy Spirit, and Peter was not shy about that. Now, Jesus experienced the Spirit At his birth, boyhood, baptism, what about his resurrection? You know, it's interesting, shortly after Jesus raises from the dead, the New Testament writers are not shy about pointing out the Spirit's relationship with Jesus, even at his resurrection. Notice how Peter says this in 1 Peter. Peter writes this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but what? made alive in the spirit. Paul would say this in Romans chapter eight, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who is alive in you. Friends, why does this matter? This matters because think about how Jesus was born. Think about how Jesus had such wisdom and understanding in the midst of chaos and disorder and sin and darkness. Think about how Jesus gave healing and sight. Think about how Jesus overcame temptation and taught with such authority is because the Holy Spirit of God was with him. You know, we might be tempted to say, well, Jesus could do all that because he is God, but the relationship here between the Son and the Spirit is too obvious to overlook. It's too obvious to overlook I think Jesus here wants us to know something. You know, imagine you're back in that upper room. Imagine you're there in a private place with Jesus and some of the other disciples, and Jesus looks out and he says, hey listen, I'm gonna leave you, but it's for your advantage. It's for your advantage that I send the helper. I think Jesus this entire time, from his baptism to his boyhood, was trying to tell the disciples, I've had an advantage. The Holy Spirit has been with me. And now I want you to have the same advantage as you take my gospel message into this broken and hurting world. You think about this. Why was the Holy Spirit Jesus' advantage? And how can it be our advantage today? The first is this. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, and so we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Every single day, it is possible for you and I to wake up and have a refreshment of the Holy Spirit. You say, Paul, what does that look like? I already received the Holy Spirit when I was saved. You're right. Think about a balloon. You put air in a balloon, and you can put more air in a balloon, and you can put more air in a balloon. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not done filling you. The Holy Spirit is not done working in you. The Holy Spirit filled Jesus and continued with him, and he will do the same with you. The reality is, is do you want to be humble enough to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you? You know, there's many times in our lives where we are pressed in on almost every side and then we are encountering difficult people. Anybody know a difficult person? Okay, a few of you. You know, there's times in my ministry, I remember back in York County when I was pastoring over there, I would often have people that would say to me, Paul, I want you to come to my neighbor's house. And I would say, well, that's fine. And I want you to do that preacher thing. And I don't, I, I, after a while, I just, I just kind of interpreted that you want me to tell them about the weather. No, the gospel, right? They'd say, do that preacher thing. And I'd say, okay, I'll do the, I'll do the preacher thing, you know? And and then they would, when when you'd pull up to the house, they would say, now, now I, I just want you to know something. I, I'm bringing you here, but the last four guys, uh, she threw out. So, um, so I just want you to know that. You know, and you you're like, thanks. You could have told me that a couple days ago, you know. And you're in that moment where you're like uncomfortable, and, and then you start panicking and thinking, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to be the fifth preacher that this woman has tossed out of her house. And the reality is, is you don't want to be tossed out of the house. You, you want to lead her to a saving knowledge. Why? Because she's a human being, and she matters. And it's in that moment that you have to decide are you gonna invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and speak through you or are you gonna to try to do this on your own strength? Listen, I can talk with the best of them, okay? Trust me, there's times where my wife just says to me, Paul, stop talking, you know? I love to talk, but there are moments in my life where I begin to panic because I know I don't have the words to say. Have you been there? We serve a God who loves to make us uncomfortable. And the reason why he does that is because he wants to know, are you going to lean on the Holy Spirit or are you going to do this on your own? Now, this isn't going to be up on the screen, but if you notice what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 12 when he sends them out, I think this is so interesting. Jesus says this, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, this is what Jesus says, do not be anxious Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that, listen, in that moment, the Holy Spirit is gonna speak through you. Now, I often wanna push back to you and say, why couldn't the Holy Spirit show up two hours later? Tell me what I'm gonna say and then I would feel a lot more comfortable. It's because God doesn't want you to feel comfortable. He wants to know, are you gonna be humble enough to ask the Holy Spirit for help? Are you gonna be humble enough to say to God, I don't have the words, I don't have the answer. I need you to show up and I need you to do something that is so incredible that only you could do. And the reason why God has that is so that we can't take the glory for it. We can't take the credit. We walk out of that woman's house after she came to know Jesus Christ and we simply say, God, you did something. And you know God did something because you didn't do it on your own. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something, you can too. Secondly, is the reason why the Holy Spirit was to Jesus' advantage and can be to our advantage is because Jesus is alive. And friends, if Jesus is alive, that means we can be alive. And let me just tell you something. It's not the kind of life where you go, okay, you know, Paul, now we live this glorious and happy life, and we've got this little manse or mansion or whatever you want to call it. We've got the white picket fence and the beautiful car. No, 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 no. Jesus is talking about you can know for for certain that Jesus Christ is alive as you go out the door. Now, hear me on this. When Jesus was in that upper room with his disciples, and he said to them, listen, I'm going to leave you but it's for your advantage. Now think about this, friends. I guarantee you that nobody in that room thought that that was for their advantage. They all would have probably said, I'd rather have an unresurrected Jesus than have the Holy Spirit. And at times, that's what we want. We want an unresurrected Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus says to us, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The Holy Spirit is for your advantage. Now why do I say that? I say that because on the day of Pentecost, When the Holy Spirit showed up, remember what Jesus said? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, and the Holy Spirit shows up and does power, something so powerful, and they begin to preach, and people get saved, 3,000. You remember that day? I guarantee you on that day, they all understood what Jesus was talking about. They all understood Jesus is alive, and his spirit is alive in me, because what God is doing is absolutely incredible. There are times, even as Christians, we live as if Jesus is dead, But he's alive. And when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you know for certain that he is. There's a great illustration that comes from a book called Symbols of the Holy Spirit. And it's written by Gordon Brownsville. And in that book, he talks about the great Norwegian explorer explorer Ronald Amundsen. Now, it's interesting that uh, Ronald Amundsen, if you don't know this, was the first person to discover the South Pole. Now, I don't know why in the world somebody wanted to go and discover that place, but they did. And I said that at 8 o'clock, and then somebody from 8 o'clock said, I actually went to the South Pole. And I go, okay, whatever. Maybe there's two people that want to go to the South Pole. I'll stay here where it's warm. But Amundsen was the first one to discover the South Pole. Now, in this book, Symbols of the Holy Spirit, this is what it says. Amundsen took a messenger pigeon with him. When he had finally reached his destination, he opened the bird's cage and he set it free. Imagine the light of Amundsen's wife, Gordon writes, back in Norway. When she looked up from the doorway of her home and she saw the pigeon circling the sky, no doubt she exclaimed, "He is alive. My husband is alive." Listen, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, when you are saved and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and savior, one of the first things the spirit testifies to your spirit is that Jesus Christ is alive that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and that he will do what he promised he would do. You know, you can know for certain today that Jesus Christ is alive. You don't have to leave this room and walk out those doors and and be doubting whether or not Jesus is alive. And you say, well, Paul, I'm saved and I have doubts and I have concerns. Listen, everybody has doubts. Everybody has concerns. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you know for certain that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And you don't have to leave today doubting whether or not he is alive. He is alive. And the Spirit is the evidence of it. The Spirit of God that has come upon people for centuries after centuries can come upon you. You would say, Well, Paul, I'm a little concerned about something. I have a little bit of panic. I don't have peace about something. I don't have joy about something. Let me tell you something. The Spirit of God can take care of your uncertainties and give you peace. He can take care of your unhappiness and he can give you real joy that comes from God in heaven. He can take care of all those concerns. But one of the major things the Spirit of God does is he affirms in you that Jesus Christ is alive and when you receive the holy spirit you will know that for certain You know, it's interesting, you say, well, Paul, how is that possible? If you look at Titus chapter 3, this is what it says. He saved us, not because of the works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The reason why you don't believe Jesus is alive is because the Spirit of God has not regenerated you and renewed your mind. But today, the Spirit of God can do that. I believe that. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to show up in this place and do something amazing. Open up the floodgates on you as an individual. Open up your eyes. Open up the truth about who Jesus Christ is and bring life where there's been death and light where there's been darkness in you. If you're sitting here this morning or you're watching with us online, I believe that that's what God wants to do. Because there's some in this room that have never personally accepted who Jesus Christ is and you've struggled with it and at some point you have to come to the conclusion either you're going to eject Jesus or you're going to embrace him and the way that you embrace him is you simply say to God I don't fully understand who you are and that is a true statement but you understand this that you are a sinner and you are in need of saving and let me tell you something God loves you And he loves you so much that he wants to save you. And as a means of letting you know that you have been saved, he's going to give you the gift of salvation and his Holy Spirit. And so this morning, before we continue in our worship, I would like us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. There is something that the Holy Spirit wants to do in this room today. He wants to regenerate somebody. And so if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I want the Holy Spirit, I want to know Jesus is alive, then pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, would you move in such a mighty way? Pray these words. God, I realize that you are who you say you are. That Jesus Christ came to die for me on a cross so that I could have the assurance that I will one day see him in heaven. God, I realize that I'm a sinner, that I have offended you. God, I realize that I need saving, and I cannot do that myself. But God, I ask that you would now fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me know that Jesus Christ is alive and that one day he's coming back. If you prayed that prayer this morning with me, then I simply just ask that you would let us know. But for the rest of us, hear this. The Spirit is not done working. Jesus has more people on this earth that need to know who he is, and he wants to work through us. And so yes, the Spirit of God's gonna put you in a place that's uncomfortable. And yes, the Spirit of God is gonna put you in a place where you don't have the power or are the words. But let me just tell you something. The Spirit of God will show up in that moment and you will realize that God was with you the entire time. The question for us this morning is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Listen, as we go into this time of worship, I would like us to stand right now and answer that question in our own hearts. Do you believe that? All right, let's respond this morning.